What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bolin. And today we got a suggestion from a, from a young listener mm-hmm. that, that I think a lot of people are really going to like. And uh, let me just quickly read through the email here and tell you what... Uh, what uh, young Carson, who is age 14, would like us to talk about. That's Carson with a K, by the way. Oh, yeah, I remember this email. Age 14. He says, uh, I've had a growing interest in cars, engines, racing, etc. Um, I really love listening to your podcast on a weekly on a weekly basis. Uh, you cover a lot of interesting topics. Um, I think that a, a good show idea might be model cars. And uh, we've talked about scale model cars, I know, yep. lots of times, right? Yep. Uh, but Carson is specifically talking about uh, the plastic model cars hmm. and the cars that, you know, you, uh, you buy in a kit in a box and glue them together, uh, you know, with the, uh, the temperamental super glue type material. Well, that depends on your skill level, but we'll get into that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, he says that he knows that at, at one time in history, uh, you know, plastic model building was a, it was a huge hobby and a lot of enthusiasts. Right on. Uh, but recently it's become a lost art to kids my age, he says. Um, his dad shares his fond memories of, of building models with him when he was young, when he's younger, um, and says that you know he, he was curious as to whether you or I built plastic model kits when we were young as well, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe some other listeners. And he thinks that uh, this might be a good idea for, I guess, our our general audience to uh, to talk about and and you know listen to and see if uh, maybe it sparks a memory. Well, congratulations, Carson. Uh, we hope that you're listening right now because uh, we also think it's a good idea. We're on the same page with you. Uh, we're not the kind of guys who would read a listener mail at the beginning and then say, but we're not going to do that. No, we're, no. What no. a great idea. And thank you for writing in to us. Um, so let's, uh, let's first answer one of his questions before we get into plastic models. Scott, were you one of the kids who built uh, plastic models? Absolutely, I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I 
would guess that you could probably guess that, you know, by just the way I've been talking over the years. You know, and, the, the, and you still have a scale model collection. I do, but they're the metal kind that right, you buy in a box it. and they're all done and, you know, ready yeah. to go. Um, but I did at one point build a lot of uh, plastic model kits and they, you know, met their demise many different ways. But um, over the years, lots and lots of plastic model kits. How about you? Uh, yeah, growing up, my father and I would build them together, kind of what uh, Carson's talking that about. That is a good hobby for a father-son. Yeah, it, it's a great hobby, especially um, when we started. I was pretty young, so it was me uh, sort of standing next to my dad, and I would I would help with the parts that you that are hard to mess up, like punching out. You know how they would come on the grid, yeah. uh, punching out different components, but uh, I was not in charge of the glue. And for most of my model building career, decals remained my sworn enemy. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> a, well. That's the best way to learn, though. Watching somebody else. Uh, kind of, uh, you know, getting best tips and practices mm-hmm. along the way and, uh, and then, you know, honing that skill and then finally building a model of your own that you can, you know, be proud to display, right? And something tells me that we have a lot of expert modelers in our audience. I would assume that we do. Now, besides Carson and his father, mm-hmm. I'm sure that there are plenty of people out there who have attempted this and maybe, you know, successfully or not successfully, mm-hmm. but still enjoy the process. I yeah, would, I would think. Yeah, and it's a it's a the the assembly part of this makes it a a great gift for anybody who has a little bit of an engineering knack. Mm-hmm. You know, la- from Legos to Lincoln Logs to connects things like that. Things where you put something together, you take individual pieces and you make a larger object of some sort. But still, I'm going to say there's there. Uh, I'm not going to say anything bad about Legos or Lincoln Logs, just to say that model cars are completely different animal. Yeah, I mean, if you're not talking about the snap together models, if you're talking about right. the kind that are the uh, the glue together process, right, um, which is where we're going. Right, there, there are a lot of different levels of difficulty. Yeah, um, you can find the kits, and they'll be clearly marked. You know, if this is a beginner kit, if this is mm-hmm. an expert kit, and everything in between. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's there's so many different levels to this. That uh, that I think everybody can find their own area and be be comfortable with with oh, assembling yeah. a model, whether it's a you know one that you just buy that has ten pieces that snap mm-hmm. together with no glue required, right? And there's lots of those out there. Sure. Um, or if it's a, you know like an expert kit that later requires you to uh, you know completely rig the thing together with uh, you know lifelike wiring and everything else that goes in you know that, that's involved with the vehicle. Um, I don't know. I think I think there's so many different levels that that everybody can find their own spot. Absolutely. And along our path on this podcast, where we learn more about these skill levels, uh, we're also going to tell you, Carson, and uh, the rest of our listeners, uh, some things that you might not know about plastic model kits. Because here's the weird part: this is pretty old. These have a history. Yeah, you know, we're approaching. 100 years of plastic model kits in in history. Yeah, um, we're we're getting there. Not not quite. We're about what 80 something at this point. Yeah, we've got some time. Yeah, 80 years or so. It's been around for a long, long time though, and uh, it goes all the way back to the 1930s, right? Right. Yeah. Now, as we know, uh, cars were around at the time, but the, one of our key words here is plastic. Mm-hmm. So we're also talking about the evolution of plastic models. So. Um, in in our search, we found that the the very first plastic model cars uh, were built by a company called Frog in the United Kingdom. Hmm. Okay, uh, and these uh, 
of course, these these aren't a new idea. Um, the the way we hear about them in America uh, goes back to a company called Hawk. Now, okay. you, you've heard Hawk. Right? I have, yeah. And that was about 10 years later because we're talking about like the 1940s or so when, mm. when the the popularity of this type of model spread over to the – or even just the, the notion of this kind of model right. eventually spread over to the United States because, um, as you said, they were, they were happening in the U.K. Now, prior to this, I can only assume, Ben, that there were plenty of wooden models and there were plenty of like, metal models. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, other, other – well, I mean, I guess that would probably be it, wooden metal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the plastic models didn't appear until the 30s and then the 40s here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when they start to make these these model kits that – yeah, they're not really all that, uh, I guess, developed. They're not. They're not. They're not exa- They're they're not elaborate no, by any means. No, nothing like what we see now. In right. fact, later we'll talk about some really, really elaborate models. But um, I mean, you can see that you know, ten years to spread over to here, then maybe another ten years here in the states before a lot of uh, a lot of plastic manufacturers decided, well, this may be a way to make some money because people are gaining interest in this. I'm going to make a kit a little bit better, a little bit more mm-hmm. detailed mm-hmm. to reflect what's really on the streets. And, you know, just by adding little, you know, bits and pieces here that, may, that make it stand out m- among other models on the shelf, that's how they get their sales. So, you know, in the, in the 1950s and then we get up into, I hope I'm not jumping way too oh, far ahead, great, Ben, but, but in the 1960s, that's when these model kits became really, really popular, and mm-hmm. the process by which they make them completely changed at that point. Now, yeah, okay, what, which process are you talking and about? I, you know, I shouldn't say completely changed, but uh-huh. I guess maybe we should talk about the types of models that there are, and you know, they're injection molded, really. Right. Um, you know, the ones that most people are probably thinking about. The the ones that are uh, going to be very popular. Yeah. Because injection molding is the 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 way that injection molded kits work economically uh, is that you have to be able to sell a lot of them in order to justify that manufacturing process. Correct, yeah. So that means that when you have a more obscure model, um, that you may also have an alternative means of making them. Now, two things uh, two things we should say, uh, for everybody who's listening to hear us talk about model aircraft, uh, that's going to be a different episode because we found so much, right? And ships and, uh, you know, submarines. There's, there's other stuff out there that we will most likely get to in another mm-hmm. I, mean, I think airplanes for sure just because there's so many out there yeah. maybe even shipbuilding yeah um but we're going to we're going to keep our focus on this when you're right on cars and trucks yeah and uh then the next thing that we should also talk about is uh of course these these models that um we're mentioning for cars and trucks are not the entire story. Uh, we're just we're hitting some high level things that we are fascinated by. Exactly, and neither one of us claim to be expert model builders or know everything about the craft. Because I'll tell you, when you get into these hobby chat rooms and forums, oh, boy, yeah, oh my gosh, there are some old world craftsmen. I don't uh-huh. know how I don't know how better to say it other than you won't believe what some of these people can put together. It's it's amazing. They they spend. You know, hours and hours on the tiniest detail, and it makes a big difference in the way the overall model looks. I mean, there's some real craftsmen. Yeah, cra- craftsmen, craftspeople. Yeah, mm. hobby geniuses. Hobby geniuses. And uh, and let's get back to the injection molding though, because injection yeah. molding now it's a you know obviously it's a it's a great big metal per, metal press that comes together right. with two pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, plastic is forced into this thing and heated or heated and then forced heated in. Heated plastic forced in exactly, yeah. and the you know out pops this. Uh, this this form that has all these different parts on it. Now the right. the, the form 
is called a what? A mold? No. No, wait, wait. What are you the, talking the about? The form that pops out, you, I mean, I, I can tell you. Wait, you wait. What are you talking about? Yeah, tell me. The, 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 uh, the, the pieces that are all hooked together, and usually typically in one color, right? Uh-huh. It's called a sprue. Sprue? It's called a sprue tree in some, it looks like spruce without the C. Yeah, sprue tree, but sprue. Okay, I didn't know what you were talking. No, about no, that's all right. First, I didn't yeah. mean to. I didn't mean to stump you, Ben, because I know you know it. I, I, but the uh, the sprue is the is the 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 typical thing that you would think when you pull out the kit and you hold up that piece that has you know the fenders, yeah, the, uh, the roof of the car, everything is the all laid out in a, the, yeah. in a flat arrangement. I, I didn't mean to stump you on no, that. No, no, not at all. I know it's in your notes. It's deep, buried deep in there. But um, <laughs> but the sprue that and that idea goes way back to the beginning when injection molding was really the only way that they did these. Yes. Um, and I found out something else. I, I this kind of surprised me. What? As a kid, you know, all the pieces would be one color on the sprue. Yeah. And, you know, you get like a model and it would all be uh, black or gray or silver or whatever sure. color it was. Um, now, Ben, they've got some models that, and I don't know how it, you know, recently this all happened, but you can have one, one, sprue, tree one with... sprue tree with multiple colors. Huh. Which okay. is kind of neat because, you know, it, it adds a lot to that model and it makes it a lot simpler mm-hmm. uh, after construction if you don't have to paint every single thing or unless you choose to. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of as it comes out of the kit, it's it's... It's much better looking initially. Now, I want to take um, I want to take a second. I know we're jumping around uh, to make two pretty cool points uh, that this, these are different from the other two. Uh, mm-hmm. One point that should be emphasized here is that a lot of people might not be aware that in the day, in the early days of these model kits, uh, they were often not thought of as toys, but they were used by car manufacturers oh, very good. to show, um, you know, as promotional devices, um, as also something to exhibit to other people. Um, so the uh, the idea of giving these to kids or private citizens to build their own um, is really a a second, and and uh, you'll hear people argue it was also a um, secondary. Ben, uh, that's a really cool thing. fact, Ben. Yeah. That's uh, that's really neat because uh, you dug that up. I know I know from uh, you know some of the research I just briefly read about it, but I had totally forgotten about that part. That um, you know they they brought around these models to kind of show mm-hmm. uh, like customers really. This like, is what we're building next year. Do yeah, you want take, one? take a look at this. It's on my desk. You can't have that. But uh, you know the the uh, the manufacturer built that and sent it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those some of those models are available online for purchase. Obviously, they're they're yes. very very valuable. They're at this rare. Point. They are rare. In some cases, you can even buy you know the box that those originally came in that is also very expensive. Just an empty box you know, from these <laughs> displays, which yeah. is which is really incredible. Just to get get um, a point about how popular these things were. Uh, Dave Fisher, who uh, wrote a great article about plastic model kit development mm-hmm. in the States, uh, Dave Fisher has a fact from one of his articles that says, a survey in Boys Life magazine in the 1950s found that over 80% of the boys responding listed plastic model building as their hobby. Wow. You know what? I almost would think that it would be... Now, 80% is high. 80% is pretty high. Given that we're talking about Boys Life magazine yeah. and everything surrounding that, you know, yeah. what that's all about, and the popularity of model building, I almost would have think that would be would it be 100%. 
Well, again, as as you pointed out, um, in the 60s, yeah. it really it blows up even more. So I bet in the 60s, it's 100. That's true. I wouldn't be surprised. That, or very, very close to 100. Okay, yeah. let's call it 90, yeah, 95. Yeah, that's right. The other kids were interested in, uh, you know, outdoors stuff. But anyway, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I'm so excited. <laughs> I rolled all over you. No, uh, no, no. It's all right. I, we're just okay, so let's run down so, the types of models. Just the types of models real quick, and, yeah. uh, and then we can move on. But um, So we talked about injection molded models, right? Yes. Um, and there were also a, a newer type, which is called vacuum. Form models. Now, that's a plastic uh-huh. sheet that is heated and then kind of sucked down into, um, um, I guess, a male mold form. Yeah. And I don't know, have you ever seen anything vacuum form before? I, there, there are videos on YouTube, I think. Yeah, there's plenty of things. In fact, if, if you want to see something really cool, and this is not model related, but yeah. I watched a show the other day about how they make um, jacuzzis, you know, hot tubs. Oh, and, oh, the shell for the jacuzzi? Yeah, the entire shell, you know, the top shell, it's usually got kind of like a, um, a glitter to it or something you know, like that. <laughs> right. that yeah. I don't know what the, the material is now <laughs> off the top of my head, but yeah. um, they vacuum form the jacuzzi into the, you know, the form itself, the, like what they drop in mm-hmm. um, into the tub, into the, the wow. surrounding wooden part. It's really, really cool to see it happening. It's neat to... to see something vacuum formed. So, I don't know. It's worthwhile just taking a look online and, yeah. and searching for that. And so, then there's uh, another one. Yeah, go ahead. Resin casting? Yeah, and this is resin. I, I just have resin epoxy models is what I, what I mm-hmm. call it. But um, uh, that's kind of the newest thing, right? Yes. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It could also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time in range and lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. 
We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It's also... This is the only time I'm going to mention money in my usual way. It's the kits are also a little more expensive. Well, of course they are. Yeah, this is a this is a better put together model, I guess. Initially assembled, right? Right. Um, and uh, no, I don't know if I said that the right way. I don't mean the way that somebody puts it together at home. I mean the way that it's built at the factory right. and shipped yeah. to you. Um, yeah, these resin epoxy models, I guess, are they're. Well, they're a little more expensive, but uh, they have more detail. Yeah, yeah, they're more detailed, and they're they're just a, a better quality, I guess, mm-hmm. than you know, like a step up from the vacuum form or the injection molding, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the ultimate. This is the uh, the big daddy models. Oh, you the know, creme de la creme. Exactly. Well, hit us with it. What are oh, they? Wait, 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 you do it. Okay, these are the uh, scratch built cars. Now, these are the true artisans of the, uh, the the craft here, as far as I'm concerned. These are the guys that make every part of the car. By or, hand. Or truck. By hand, no no kit smashing, no mixing other kits together. Do you, do you recall, Ben, when we talked about that really cool Ferrari, the, uh, the what was it, the PB312 or whatever uh-huh. it was, yeah, the, yeah. the model that uh, that actually ran, and it, the guy had spent, what was it, like 12 or 15 years building this more thing? more than 10 years. Yeah, that that was an example of a scratch-built model. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that one was a running model, and that's different. He machined everything and made the uh, you know made the engine actually operate. Yeah, that's, operate that's and, extraordinary even among scratch-built. Yeah, but scratch-built models, any kind of scratch-built model, really, mm-hmm. they're pretty amazing because someone puts the detail in. I mean, they think about They just look at a, a, a bunch of raw materials yeah. and picture the final product and, and build it. And and that's the difference. They don't just buy a kit off the shelf mm-hmm. at the, uh, the local hobby shop for 20 bucks and, and decide that... You know, I'm going to put it together on a weekend. This is more of a uh, it's a labor of love, I guess, because they yeah. spend some of them spend literally years and years constructing these models. And if you get a chance, guys, again, check out that Ferrari. Uh, it's worth it. Oh, definitely, because it runs. Okay, the the last one then is uh, one that I think is my favorite. It's close to scratch built, but it's sort of a remix kind of thing where you take multiple kits, awesome, and you squeeze them together. Now, this is the kind of thing. Uh, Carson, I don't know if you have ever, um, if you ever mess around with Legos or stuff like that, but, um, for any listener who has, you, you've probably had that moment when, when you were a kid or playing with Legos and not that you have to be a kid. I have Legos at home right now. Definitely not. I still play with Legos. Yeah. Full disclosure. We're on team Lego, but the, uh, the, the thing that's neat is that you can take, um, one Lego set and another Lego set, and then you can just make whatever you want you're limited only by the pieces that you can find mm-hmm. and that's what this uh the second thing of um not scratch building but 
I, I would say I've heard it called kit mixing. I've heard it called kit bashing. Ah, that's a term I've heard, kit bashing, which is kind of strange. But uh, kit, yeah. it sounds like you're smashing it. But yeah. um, kit mixing, that seems like a better way to say it, maybe. Mm-hmm. Making a franken kit, I guess. Franken kit. I like that Something one. Something like that. Way I don't better. Know. But, uh, I mean... I guess you just take two kits of you can either you could even take similar models if you wanted to. Sure. But I think a lot of times they take you know different models. I mean mm-hmm. something completely different. Yeah. And uh, and make something entirely new, which is really a cool idea. I mean when you're talking about cars, you know, you could take, you know, it's exactly like building like a, a rat rod or something like yeah. that or a hot rod of your own in the garage. Uh but it's on a much much smaller scale and you don't have to have, you know, the expensive metalworking tools that you do. You just need a good exacto knife, a lot of imagination. Time, patience. patience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very good. Uh, so this, uh, so we've we've talked about. I guess that's four uh, well-known. Counting the plastic models, we've talked about several several types of mm-hmm. um, models, both in the way they're manufactured uh, and in the way they're assembled by users or fabricated. Can, by I, users. can I mention one thing here? Yeah. I don't know where you're going. I, I don't yeah. mean to interrupt, but I think I, I think it's a good place to mention this. What's that? Um, when I was a kid. There was always a problem with the metal parts, you know, because oh, you had mixed metal and plastic. Yeah, they had the metal plat, you know, they had the plastic plated metal parts that were in the kit, you know, it looked like a chrome bumper or whatever. Yeah, um, a lot of people like to paint metal parts, you know, so they have different textures, different tones, mm-hmm. different, you know, the real feel. Yeah, uh, because a lot of people take these to the extreme, you know, they decide that you know that's not really the way that that bracket looked it wasn't that color metal it was uh, it was more of a brushed aluminum you know or more of a, a oh brushed, sure and uh, then have a have a book of uh photographs of the actual vehicle from yeah. various different angles yeah, oh, yeah yeah so people do this all the time right and there's a lot of different metal textures and and colors and and uh you know mm-hmm. like like we mentioned, brushed, 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 ah, I can't say brushed, brushed aluminum. aluminum, rural juror. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Versus like brushed steel. You know, that, that's the difference to them. They, they need to know what was what. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's a lot of different options now for chrome or metal parts. Uh, there, I guess there's some really good um, spray products now that weren't yeah. out there a long time ago. Um, you know, you had pretty much the uh, the testers brand chrome paint that you could use, mm-hmm. and that was about it. You know, you could mix different colors together. Um, but now, um, you know, uh, well, to begin with, let's just say the spray on chrome now is much better than it was back then. There's a product <laughs> called Allclad, yeah. uh, to, to mention one, you know, specifically, but that's supposedly a really, really good one for all types of metal finishes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but here's the cool thing, Ben. What's you the can, cool thing? You can now buy photo etched metal parts for your models. And some kits actually come with these photo etched metal, metal parts. You know, mm-hmm. the, it, it adds a, an extreme level of detail to your kit. Um, but other kits, I mean, you, how can I put this? If you have a model, let's say, of a 1960 Cadillac, and you search photo-etched parts for uh, this specific brand, you know, manufacturer, 1960 Cadillac, you might be able to find some really, really detailed, realistic photo-etched metal parts that have a lot of detail in them. We're talking like, you know, you can see the rivets in them. Wow. You can see, uh, you know, the, the, the proper texture to the metal. Um, they're very expensive. But again, you can buy them separate, or you can buy them with the kit if you buy the the appropriate kit. You know, a very expensive kit to begin with. Yeah, and one point we should make when we're talking about some of this detail: uh, if you want to become uh, involved with these sorts of modeling, whether it's out of the box, whether it's kit bashing, whether you are one of the brave pioneers 
who will attempt a scratch-built car. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that's interesting to know is that there are model clubs you can join. Depending on where you live, there's probably one in your town or in your in your area, especially if you're in a city. And these things are really cool because this gives you a chance to check out other models, to learn tricks of the trade from people who do this. This also, if you choose, gives you the chance to enter competitions. Ah, uh, yes. And from what I've heard, they're very, very helpful. I mean, I've, I've read – it's not just what I've heard. It's what I've read because I've mm -hmm. seen many cases where someone is you know, a brand-new person to the forum and saying, I, I'm just getting into this. Mm -hmm. Tell me what tools I need. You know, to begin, I'm building this kit. I'm having this little problem here. What can I do to get around this? And people are very helpful, super supportive, very, very supportive. And and because uh, you know they're they're trying to you know let someone come into their world, I guess, yeah. and saying you know like of course we want this to continue on and let's see what you're capable of because here's what we're capable of. Uh, it's just a neat way to for people to share. Now it's it's great that that's out there because you know back in the '60s and '70s you didn't have that. It was anybody you know that you happened to bump into at the local hobby shop that, that was mm -hmm. also buying a model. You might say like, oh, you're a modeler too. Mm -hmm. um, you know that's about it. Um, but outside of you know like when you didn't have the internet, you know, didn't have these these forums, these groups, these hobby groups, yeah, uh, these interest groups, um, it just wasn't possible. So this is a great tool. Yeah, this is a great tool, and this, uh, you know, we, Scott, you and I have talked before about how a lot of brick and mortar stores uh, have had a tougher time mm -hmm. with the advent of online purchasing and yeah. stuff. Um, this is, think of these forums if you are if you're a potential model builder. Think of the the forums online as sort of a replacement um, or substitute for. The conversations you would have in person at your hobby shop. Yeah, exactly, and and that's not to say that you shouldn't go to the hobby shop because you I'll absolutely you, should if you're lucky enough to be around one. I think that's exactly where you need to go because they've got stuff that you just w wouldn't even think of. You wouldn't even think of searching for that that mm -hmm. specific tool, that mm -hmm. type of paint, you know, any of that, um, unless you hear about it somewhere. Um, but honestly, to, to stand there and stare at that wall of models looking back at you. Um, that's really that's really cool. That's it's a really lot of fun neat. to be able to pick out what your next project is going to be out of you know the 500 choices that are available. And a lot of local hobby shops are really really good about this. And they're and they're you know they'll even order things for you if you want. If you say you know like I heard that there's a new model by uh, this company, I'd like to get it. You know, Testers is making a new model. Uh, can you get it for me? They'll, they'll yeah. a lot of times they'll be very very. They'll go out of their way. Yeah, sure. No, no, you know, not a problem, not a question at all. Um, you know what? What? We mentioned brick and mortar. I think this is a good time to mention the museum. Oh, yes. How okay. about that? We, yeah. can't, we cannot let this episode go without mentioning we can't. the museum. We'll, now, we'll be mad at ourselves. Get this. It's the International Museum of Plastic Models. That's the title of the place, and it's in Zephyr Hills, Florida. Yep. Which is uh, central Florida. I think it's um, – I looked this up earlier. I don't have my note, but um, mm -hmm. I think it's somewhere around uh, like north and west of Lakeland, Florida. It's in you know closer to the Gulf but still central Florida. Right. Uh, Zephyr Hills, 4,000 models on display, Ben. And uh, mm -hmm. we're talking about like everything from, you know, the scratch-built kits all the way down to, you know, the, the earliest kits, some of these rarities. Mm -hmm. um, they have models for sale. They build models on consignment. Yep. Uh, the, the collection's been growing since 1975. That's when this guy started this mm -hmm, whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's really really an impressive collection. A lot of them are shown in uh, you know scenes scenario. I don't know what you call those dioramas, maybe. Yeah, right. Uh, with you know the, the appropriate backgrounds displays. Mm -hmm. Others are just you know on a shelf. Um, but he's got a little bit of everything. Some of the models that he sells. I don't know if you've checked out yeah. his uh, online site. Yeah, uh, the he's models. Got quite a few. Some of them are really 
old, I mean, classic antique models that uh, that were never assembled. You know, he's got the in the box. He's got them in the box. Yeah, original models in the box. You know, and uh, you know, like Model T or whatever you want to get. Um, he's got a few of them, and they're not unreasonably priced. No, especially considering how difficult they could be to find. Uh, only about thirty percent of the collection is on display um, at any given time. Uh, he's the this guy's got his contact information on um, eBay on the website for the museum and. Uh, it sounds like he really cares about this because he also talks about the local hobby stores like Warwick Hobbies in Fort, Fort Lauderdale, um, Zephyr's House, Zephyr Hills House of Crafts and stuff. Yeah, he's very passionate about this. And, and the thing is, Ben, when you look at the photos of that museum, mm-hmm. I cannot believe that's 30%. That looks like 4,000 models right there. So I can't imagine what um, you know all 4,000 yeah, display yeah. models must look like in one spot. Um, it's really, really a neat display, and uh, you know the the hallways are just covered. The ceilings are covered with airplane models hanging from the ceiling, and, and there's plenty mm-hmm. of cars and trucks and trains and everything else that's there. I don't, I don't know exactly all of you know what's there, but got the history of the mo- uh, the history of uh, the model at hand, also uh, a little bit of chronology and organized by scale, which uh, I appreciate. Uh, yeah, that's- you know, because some people. Some some people have decided to focus on a specific scale, mm-hmm. and uh, he's got some he's got some really cool stuff. He's got Highway Pioneers series, which is uh, one of the, I think it was Hawk manufactured those. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that's early on. That's like yeah, 19- yeah. Now Hawk is one of the companies that was uh, in the 1940s, I believe. Right. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. was it even earlier? I think that was one of the ones that came to the United States. Right. One of the mm-hmm. first first manufacturers of these kits. Well, I can't remember it was. Revel, Revel, or uh, Hawk. Um, oh, okay. Well, anyways, it's it's an early, early model. It's oh, I think it's I think it's Revel. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's it's an early model. The the point we're making with this is that this guy has a lot of stuff. It's in Zephyr Hills, Florida. Florida. It's yeah. it's not if you if you live in Florida, it might be worth your time the the next time you're on on the way. Somewhere. I think if you're in Orlando, why not make a half day trip? And just go check this thing out, and then come back because it's not that far away, really. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's an easy drive from Orlando, um, International Museum of of Plastic Models. It's worth worth the trip, I think. Hey, yeah. one last model that I'd like to uh, to talk about here, if we yes. get a chance. Yeah. Um, you mentioned scale, right? What would you think of a one to one scale model car? A one to one scale model now, car. Then you may say. That's just a car. That's just a car. <laughs> now this one, I knew you would say that. Now this is just a uh, this this is a a full size car, a true race car. It's a uh, it's it's actually a one to one scale model of an Aston Martin, a 1959 model, the one that actually won Le Mans that year. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was Car- yeah Carol Shelby and uh, Roy Salvadori drove this to a Le Mans victory in 1959. They have recreated this this. Gigantic sprue tree. Aston Martin on a gigantic sprue tree, you're right, that's on casters, but it's one-to-one scale, and it's laid out in exactly the manner that uh, that a model kit would be. You know, it has the, the uh, racing decals on the side, the seats and everything. That looks so cool. It's really, really neat. But it doesn't come with any engine or uh, No, it doesn't have any engine. Or, it's not an actual it's, Aston Martin. It's all body work, wheels, interior, steering wheel. There's a hatch signed by Carol Shelby in there in that's a glass amazing. case. Uh, it's really, really Is this cool. like a museum piece, or can people buy it's it? It's a museum piece that eventually went on 
up for auction. Oh, okay. I don't know where it ended up, but mm-hmm. the uh, the projected auction price for this thing was about thirty one thousand to I think they said forty six thousand would have been like the uh, the bidding range of this. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't know what it eventually sold for, who it went to, any of that, mm-hmm. but. Um, this is pretty amazing. I mean, the whole display, just to give you an idea, it's it's twenty point. It's it's almost twenty one feet long. Mm-hmm. It's about eleven and a half feet high, and it weighs around thirteen hundred pounds. So this is a, a huge yeah. display to have somewhere. You'd have to have you know a, a warehouse almost, or a, you know a front lobby of a of a of a giant downtown building. Oh, really? At, at the very least, really high ceilings in your apartment. No, this isn't something you can wheel into your garage or even, uh, you wouldn't want to take it apart and try to assemble the actual model because <laughs> there's, so. there's a lot missing. But uh, it's really, really beautiful. It it's does a, look really nice. It's a neat thing to have. So, uh, let's see, what what else we have? I've got, um, well, we have pointed out that the demographic has changed over time in the from the 30s to the Modern here in aught thirteen, if we can call it that. Aught thirteen, okay. Uh, in twenty thirteen, the mm-hmm. over that time, the demographic has changed, uh, and it's aged. There, there, as you, we said in the very beginning, um, that there are there are fewer uh, young younger people, young boys or whatever, uh, assembling these models. Um, that doesn't mean that this industry is by any means going away, because there are people that. I would say you can call professional modelers, mm-hmm. professional model builders. As a matter of fact, that museum that we mentioned, mm-hmm. they build models on consignment. Yep. So you hand them a model, you tell them what you like, and they build one for you. Um, I, does that kind of defeat the purpose? I, I, I think, to me, it's a sense of pride when I build something like that and put it on, on the shelf. I know it was when I built them. Yeah, um, you're, you're on the same page with me with that. I, I think building, for me... For us, building a model is clearly the most fun part. But in some ways, if you want something custom, you sure. want something original, something that no one else has, you know, like let's say you've got a, you're an executive and you've got a giant mahogany desk and a huge, you know, a giant office and you want something to put on the shelf behind you, yeah. a replica of that Aston Martin that you truly drive it, you know, in on the weekends, yeah, um, and it has to look exactly like this photograph, that may be the case where you have somebody else build it for you. Yes, and... uh yeah, also if it's a gift for somebody, maybe. Oh, that's a good idea. So uh, that that will work and it makes sense. And the one thing that – there are two things that are sort of related. These are my tangents. Okay. I, can I go on some tangents? Absolutely. All right. Uh, come with me then on these tangents. Uh, this reminds me of a friend I have who is became very into G.I. Joe's. Specifically, and got, he went past the point where he felt like he needed to own all of the, you know, all of the different vehicles or, or uh, action figures they put out in series. And he got to the point where he says, I'm going to start making my own. So he's doing this sort of kit mixing, kit bashing stuff hmm. with G.I. Joe's. Really? Yeah, I had, I had no idea it exists, but it's, it's a big it's a big thing. It's, it's a big subculture, Scott. I don't even know if I can call it a this subculture. Is a friend. Ben, uh, is this getting in the way? Like, is it is it causing him to have less room in his Monte Carlo or something like that? Or is he? <laughs> this friend is not me. Oh, okay. Okay, this uh, is uh, I I am protecting his anonymity a bit because sure. I don't know if he wants me talking about it. Sure. Um, actually, I don't want him to find out that we're talking about it on the air because then he would bug me to ask other people to send him more GI Joe stuff. Well, then let's move on to tangent two. Let's move on to tangent two, which is uh, something I'm really excited about. Um, now, you know, I was a little bit jealous of you this weekend uh, when you made it to the Mini Car Museum. I did. 
for yes, the very uh, last day. Yeah, the very last day. It was uh, it was pretty amazing. I, I think uh, there's more podcast material to come from this thing. It's yeah. uh, it, it's really it was pretty eye opening to see all those mini and micro cars and mm-hmm. bubble cars together yeah. in one place. It was it was truly amazing. I was really really happy. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It could also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Ben, so we've got uh, some listener mail here, mm-hmm. and uh, this one, I figured we'll just get this one out of the way, but uh, um, I'm going to mention it quickly, and we'll move on to another one. How about that? Sure um, thing. I just wanted to mention uh, another thank you to uh, one of our listeners named Rudy, and uh, Rudy was the one who tipped me off to the fact that the, uh, the microcar museum was closing that very week. Oh, I'm and, so glad uh, you're reading this online. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah, thank you, Rudy. Again, um, I did make it out there for the final day. I hope you made it out as well. I don't know where Rudy lives. Uh, but, you know, they, 
the the tip was invaluable. I mean, it was it was wonderful. So um, I made it on the final day and just mm-hmm. barely made it. So uh, thanks again. Just wanted to say we appreciate it. Um, here's another one. Um, this one is from Aaron, and um, Aaron had something to say about our uh, sleeper car episode, and uh, mentioned that. Um, well, he first of all, you know our our pronounce, pronunciation of uh, I just I screwed that up pronunciation of uh, of the Taurus, which uh, he has always thought of as S H O instead of show. We said Taurus show. I've heard it yeah. both ways, but you know now that he says it, I do remember hearing it Taurus S H O. So uh, just to clear that up. That's something we probably did the whole way through. Um, also <laughs> mentioned that. Um, the uh, you know I I talked about the ninety four to ninety six Impala SS which I thought yes. looked wickedly fast uh, from the factory. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's so much of a sleeper car because it looks fast. Uh, another one that he mentions that I thought I had mentioned and maybe I didn't I I wasn't sure. Uh, the uh, the the Ford Mercury Marauder. Oh uh, yeah. And the yeah. Marauder is kind of the uh, the uh, souped up version of the uh, Grand Marquis. You know the blacked out windows and all black no chrome type of vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, Pretty cool car. It also looks kind of fast, but it's. I would say that that one definitely gets more of a nod for a sleeper car than the uh, the Impala SS. That was my opinion, I guess, when I wrote yeah, back yeah. to him. But uh, I thought that was pretty cool. And you also mentioned the uh, the Fox Body Mustang LX models, the ones that had the five liter engines. Right. Um, very pedestrian looking, but uh, you know there was a kind but of a, not pedestrian movie. No, no, there was a a beast within. You know, it had the five liter engine that was very powerful for the time. Uh, instead of it had the uh, the guts of the the Mustang GT, but the body of uh, you know a much much simpler sedan vehicle. Yeah, and I don't know, was it a hatchback? Might have been a hatchback. Anyways, it was a uh, it was a very subdued looking vehicle, but uh, it was wickedly fast. So um, again, Aaron, thank you for pointing those out. Those are a couple of good suggestions. So mm-hmm. we appreciate it. And speaking of suggestions, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Uh, we have fun with this. I am going to actually pick up some models for some people in my family. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, hopefully they enjoy them. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that guy who's like vicariously uh, trying to make kids live through me or something. But but I told I I am going to go to our local brick and mortar hobby shop and pick up some things. Uh, let us know if you have any recommendations. Uh, let us know if there are some topics that you would like to hear more about. We're on Facebook. Uh, we're also on Twitter. And uh, if you want to send us some suggestions, uh, not too dirty jokes, funny stories, you know, whatever, we have an email address too. It is carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. 
Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com.